That might have been a cringy thing to say. Can you take that out? I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, friends. Welcome to Fast Friends Forever. I'm August Woody. My pronouns are they, them. I'm not too twin. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Kate Rose, and my pronouns are she, her. All right. We're very excited to have Kate here today, all the way from New Zealand. Woo! Yeah! Kate, Kate is like an invisible figure on this podcast most of the time because she's my best friend in literally the whole world. And we've been to Fest together for many, many years. And so she comes up a lot. So I'm really excited to have her on today. Yeah, I'm really happy to have been able to make this work, even though I had to wake up at six o'clock in the morning for this. (laughs) (laughs) But very happy to get to talk about my favorite bands and my favorite music festival with my favorite people. Hey, best friends. (laughs) Yeah. Today we're talking about the Menzingers and their 2012 album on the Impossible Pass. The Menzingers are definitely one of the biggest bands that I wanted to talk about when starting this podcast. So I'm really, really excited to get into this episode. The Menzingers are also the band that I really wanted to talk about when August started this podcast. (laughs) 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 I specifically requested to be on this episode because I have a lot to say. I love that. This I'm excited for this because I don't know a lot about the Menzingers, kind of surprisingly, except that they're like a band's band. I feel like a lot of bands, a lot of people like influence for fans of the Menzingers. I never really understood why until I listened to <laughs> On the Impossible Pass. I'm like, everything just clicked. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm excited to bring both of your brains about the Menzingers and this album. It's going to be good. I do remember at my very first fest, which was Fest 11, and it was like my first time getting introduced to all of this stuff, and the first time I spent time talking to bands, and that was like a universal truth whenever people, <laughs> the bands would talk about their favorite bands. It was always the Menzingers, and I was like, yeah, no way, me too. I mean, your band's good too, but... <laughs> but the Menzingers. <laughs> but the Menzingers, we agree. <laughs> All right. Well, the Menzingers are a punk rock band from Scranton, Pennsylvania. They formed in 2006. To date, the band has released, according to Wikipedia, seven studio albums. This is counting from Exile in addition to Hello Exile. And they are going to be releasing a new album that should be out by the time this episode drops. I also saw that on Wikipedia, but they included from Exile, but not on the possible past. And I feel like that's not fair. Yeah, I also feel like that's not fair. I agree. Because they put out... So On the Impossible Past and Hello Exiles were the official releases, but then they released slightly different acoustic versions of these albums later. And one of them gets to be included on the Wikipedia page, but the one that I'm going to talk about a lot isn't. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it's specifically just because On the Possible Past is a little bit shorter. There's only like eight tracks on it, so maybe they're counting that as an EP instead of an album. Yeah, that's fair. So, I guess, okay, so why this album? Why on the Impossible Pass for today's episode? Okay, well, right off the top, I want to say that this band has so many incredible albums and so many goddamn bangers in their catalog. But I truly consider this release to be a 
perfect record. It's an album that felt like a classic as soon as it came out. Every song on it is incredible. They all fit really well together. And it's just really emblematic to me. It's what I think of when I think of what a perfect album should sound like. I agree with you on the perfect album front. I also feel like On the Impossible Past was a big turning point in the Menzingers career. I mean, the first couple albums were very different and they're great. Don't get me wrong. I love everything that came before that, but I don't think it was until On the Impossible Past when they started to actually find their sounds that people were going to care about. That is like, that's when they blew up. Um, Right when this album came out in 2012 was around the time that we figured out who they were and it made us pay attention. And then we were able to go back and listen to that other stuff. But all of the albums that have come out since, like, they do not sound like the same band as those first two albums. They sound like the bands from On the Impossible Past and moving forward. Yeah, I feel like I've said this before, but I think that the third album is when a lot of bands really get into their groove. And I think that's definitely true with this one. Mm-hmm. I think like last year, they did, you know, 10 years of On the Impossible Past. And I read uh, an interview as they're coming along to their, I think their NOLA, Crown the New Orleans stop uh, with Tom May. And remember correctly, what he said was, uh, pretty much what y'all were saying, right? Coming along on the Impossible Pass, they're like, oh, it's not it's not just whole, this punk, holy punk. We're incorporating th- other things that we like. They like jazz. They like a lot of, you know, older American, like staple music, you know, jazz, blues, motor rock. And you can hear it. They're putting that in, that Americana, which really kind of took me for a loop hearing that on this album. And yeah, it, I haven't heard the other two albums, but... I think the first album, so like it makes sense if those two are much more very plainly punk, punk ideal albums. And you have this coming as you come to their sound, coming into their groove, putting in things that they like and really working that musicianship. And you just have this sick record. August, what what is what do the Menzingers mean to you? What, what does Menzinger mean? OK, so I do actually have an answer for this because I found an old punk blog that talked about it. So according to Tom May, who's their uh, one of their vocalists and guitarists, he said that the band name is just the phonetic spelling of a German word for troubadour. That is not what I thought that it meant. <laughs> <laughs> I've read, and I cannot cite my sources on this, I have just read this on the internet, that it was a play on the Benzinger wine. Oh. But like just changing that one letter, like, oh, we're men and drink wine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yours is better. I hope that that's right. Now, there was a comment underneath this where someone who is from South Germany was like, sorry, but Tom's wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't think that he, he was totally wrong. Like, basically, I guess the word Menzinger is... A Bavarian surname and it's also a name for some places in South Germany but the German word for troubadour is technically it's pronounced Minnesanger which is pretty close so I don't think that it's that far off and then if you're pronouncing Menzinger in German it's more like Menzinger not Menzinger but I think it's close enough honestly you know I'm not German but Sounds close enough to me, but overall cool. I do really like the wine take on the name. Really goofy. 
I think I might go I'm with that pretty one. pretty sure that is the first thing that comes up if you Google what Menzingers mean. But I feel like a deeper dive into an old punk article sounds like that. That's probably more right. <laughs> Did you know that apparently when the Menzingers were first starting out in a previous iteration of the band, they were called Bob and the Saggots? I did read that, and I thought that was very cute. All right, R.I.P. Bob and the Saggots. Well, for, Do you want to... Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, you're good. Okay, you go. You go ahead. No, you go ahead, Kate. You go ahead. I was going to ask... So that's what the Menzingers name mean, but do you want to talk about what the Menzingers mean to you? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Jinx? Jinx. <laughs> August, please. I guess more for you. I, I honestly cannot begin to explain what this band means to me. I've seen the Menzingers well over a dozen times. I have two Menzingers tattoos. <laughs> Burn After Writing was playing when I got engaged. And my husband's band played a Menzinger's cover set at our wedding. So, and it, it it was kind of surprising to me how much listening to this album again and thinking about the Menzingers was making me think about my relationship because I, I think about them usually as just this incredible band that I'm in love with. But I guess, you know, I have a lot of history with them. So it's been really nice to revisit that and think about all of the different ways that they've contributed to my life. <laughs> my kid, Jude, who is now 13, he's seen the Menzingers four times. He saw them in St. Augustine. We went to Tampa to see them. He saw them at Fest last year. And then we just saw them in Jacksonville last week. So, oh, and he, he, he fucking crowd surfed to the Menzingers at Fest. How incredible is that? <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Aunt Kate coming in for the <laughs> making Jude crowd surf. He also crowd surfed for the first time when he was eight years old at your wedding during the Menzingers cover set. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though he refused to because you were not standing right there and couldn't give him permission. And I was like, but I say it's okay. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> the cool aunt coming in clutch. <laughs> I don't remember the first time that I heard the Menzingers, but I remember the first time I acknowledged that I was hearing the Menzingers. And it was when I was in the car with August. We were driving and I was like, I like this song. Who is this? And they were like, this is the Menzingers. And you ask that question every single time a Menzingers song comes on. Like, <laughs> just start listening to this band already. <laughs> and I it clicked for me like oh I do like I probably didn't really know what they were saying in the songs like it was loud that car was old but like I just really liked the way it sounded every time a song came on and that's when the deep dive started but they have also meant a lot to me over the years and I think the nostalgia that this album specifically makes me feel more so than the others. I mean, every Menzingers album is pretty damn nostalgic, but specifically this one, I have associated so many memories with over the years. Like I might have not been sitting in a CVS parking lot when they wrote this song, but there have been so many times since then where that is the song that I think of when I am sitting in parking lots doing stuff I probably shouldn't be doing. Um, I'm going to get caught. But I also like 
I love this album so much that no matter how many memories and people that I associate with these songs, these songs still belong to me. Like no one can ever ruin them for me. Even if one of these songs like makes me think of an old boyfriend, I like it cannot make me sad because first and foremost, this song is mine. Like this is my album. It is your album. You have a tattoo of the album art on your thigh. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. My 10 year old tattoo now. The lines are all starting to bleed together. That sounds like a Menzinger lyric to me. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rad. Love when people have deep-seated memories and you know can assign a piece in time to a piece of music. I don't I don't have the same affiliation with the Menzingers, but definitely I could probably say 50% of the time listening to something new, whether at a place in Gainesville or like just some song I haven't seen the title of on Spotify YouTube music. I'm like, oh, is the Menzingers? And if it, half the time I'm right, uh, if I'm realizing, you know, why that is, because it's just inf- the influence is pretty big and well loved, well liked, great writing. I didn't, I should have taken those moments to dive into them more, but it's never happened. Uh, kind of kicking myself in the pants for that one, but I'm looking forward to making them a regular rotation now. And hopefully catch be able to catch them once. Yeah, you gotta catch up to Jude since he's already at four. I'll never be as cool as Jude. I don't think I will. <laughs> None of us ever will be. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about music though. You don't have to listen to it as soon as the album drops. Like it's always gonna be there. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't the right time in your life, but now it's gonna be. Yeah, we make the right time, right? Uh I also want to talk about this thing that I have believed to be true for such a long time, but in trying to research for this podcast episode, I could not find any internet facts to back me up. (laughs) But On the Impossible Pass was voted Album of the Year in 2012 on a bunch of different websites, including Absolute Punk and Punk News. And there is this folklore that the next year in 2013 it was also voted album of the year by a bunch of places because nothing came out that was as good as it the next year (laughs) and i have just believed that to be true i never looked it up i think someone just told me that and i have been telling people that for 10 years but now in my (laughs) research i am realizing that that might not have been true and i was just so ready to believe it because it is such a good album and that sounds like it should be true so that's my fun little anecdote of me being wrong and not fact checking things. <laughs> You're right in your heart. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's album of the year every year in my heart. Yeah, we run with it. <laughs> yeah. According to Spotify Wrapped, you know. <laughs> so I I have a lot of notes that I just screen grabbed directly from Tom May's Reddit AMA from eleven years ago. <laughs> Um, it just so happened that he he did this AMA right around or right after the album came out. So there's a lot of conversation about this album specifically. Someone asked what influenced the album, what influenced the album the most, um, any specific artist or genre. And Tom said a whole consortium of bands, past and present, writers, past and present, fiction and nonfiction, American and Russian 20 odd years of life experience, booze, our friends, everything, which I think makes sense because the album really encapsulates a lot of life. So 
It does not surprise me that booze is one of the biggest influences. I remember trying to get my brother to listen to the Menzingers and he could never get on board. And he was like, all they talk about is getting drunk. I don't get drunk. I can't relate to this. <laughs> but he just didn't get it. I think it wasn't for him. Well, a lot of refle- reflection. Yeah, I guess a lot of reflection. This album just seems like a whole big reflection piece. Lots of booze make you reflect on that. <laughs> As far as musical influences go, he said that they started to reach back a little further into some 90s alternative music. Tom said that he also started listening to some more indie bands like Modest Mouse and such for newer ways to play the guitar. It's hard to see Modest Mouse as an influence to the <laughs> I don't see that one, but good on you, Tom. Yeah, like it's just, yeah, I can't hear the Modest Mouse, but you can definitely hear them reaching further into their musical bag you know, reaching yeah. deeper into that for this album in so many ways. Someone asked about themes and someone had a theory about the album being about somebody going through a whole life story and dying and going to heaven or hell or something and coming back. And Tom was just like, wow, that's incredible, <laughs> but would not confirm or deny. But in a different comment, someone asked about themes and he said, there isn't a conscious overarching story but there are definitely running themes one thing that we kept in mind while writing the record was to keep everything amorphous and ambiguous enough for the listener to take what they want from it and that's really true because i know that i've taken a lot of different things from different songs throughout the years and interpreted them in different ways i doubt that a lot of people would consider burn after writing to be a romantic song first and foremost but it's you know, one of the defining songs of my relationship. So I also view it as a very romantic song. (laughs) I mean, that's probably because of me. Yeah, (laughs) I was also there when you got engaged. I I hit play (laughs) on the song. Did Woody request that song specifically to be played? Yes. Have you just been wondering that all these years? Well, I just I I assumed so, but I just wanted to confirm because, you know, we were walking together and then we just kind of walked up and somebody's car was playing the song. And so, you know, he wasn't directly pressing the play button himself. So I wasn't sure if he was just like, just play the Menzingers or if it was that song. That big old romantic softy plans the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. But yeah, what you said earlier, in August, there's so many moving parts and like things to take about in the Apostle Pass. Like nothing is in isn't in a consecutive like order in terms of like a theme or narrative, except on the Apostle Pass, nice things and then you know good things flows into burn after writing. But like, yeah, it's just this song is about. No, things you long for. This song is about touring sucks and it, I'm burned out. And this song and the underlying political commentary. And this song is about, you know, what I miss and my friend. This song's about alcoholism and it's easier to drink than to deal with my problems. Like it's all just kind of floating around, you know, depending on which song you listen to is what you get and how you're feeling too. It's it's, it's a lot of movement. There you go. So it's a, it's, a, it's a heavy moving album. That's a really good way to put it. As far as the cover art goes, somebody asked who is the woman on the front of them on the impossible past and why did they choose that image? So I'm just going to read Tom's answer here because I just, I don't know, I feel like it's important. He said, we'll never know who she is. She is a subject of a photograph taken in the Northeast Pennsylvania area by a photographer named Mark Cohen. 
We chose that image because of the humility in the picture. It was taken in the area we grew up in and the area that several of the songs are about. The focus of the image lies with the new looking wedding ring and the hand in a position on her chest to suggest she was excited, surprised, or nervous that she was chosen to be the subject of a photographer. A lot of children, or what I assume to be children on the internet, can't handle the cleavage in the picture. The fact that her cleavage is part of the picture can't be ignored. It's part of the picture and therefore is part of the reason why we chose the picture. She looks like your girlfriend, your partner, your sister, your mom, your aunt, etc. Her body is not overtly ugly or modern magazine airbrush attractive. She looks real and beautiful. It's really a fantastic picture. She looks familiar and there's something more attractive and beautiful and not necessarily boner-based sexual about that. This one I knew going into getting the tattoo of that photograph. <laughs> um, and Tom's reasoning for that influenced my decision on what Mettenzinger's tattoo I was going to get that first time. Wow. All right, I think we're ready now to go into the track by track. Okay, so kicking off with good things. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, there's this dichotomy between soft and harsh in their sound. So you're getting the best of both worlds here. Mm-hmm. I am such a sucker for lyrics, which is probably why the Menzingers are my favorite band. And good things, all good things must fall apart, I think, is like this new age take on the that same old saying, nothing gold can stay. But in just such a cooler, punker way. This is the song that I want to listen to after everything gets ruined because life ebbs and flows and things get ruined and there is this song to make me feel less alone because you know what all good things fall apart for everybody but there's gonna be good things again i don't know this song is so hopeful for me even though it doesn't outright say that (laughs) yeah that's funny that you say that because i think that that's true for me too and i've never really thought about it like that yeah that makes sense you know like a Greg Barnett explained in an interview that this song is essentially just they're expressing their frustration right with touring, right? It's been home in months and months. I'm broke. We're out here in California. We're you know, they got they're getting they're getting bigger with this album. It's amazing, but they're far from home, they're burned out. And maybe on like on at face value, it doesn't sound like a very hopeful song. But yeah, that idea, like you said, Kate, like that idea of like that's so all good things should fall fall apart. It's like it's gonna happen. And we're all gonna, you know, fall apart at some point. So it's kind of cathartic because it shows the way how it's how the song sounds. It's like there's going to be something else after we fall apart. It's not like falling apart is the end unless you buy into something terrible, right? But falling apart is in the end. It's just going to happen. Yeah. I'm really glad that touring did not fall apart for them because it's been 11 years and they're still at it <laughs> <laughs> since this song came out. I also relate to this song a little bit differently now not even this whole song but there's one line in it that has been playing in my head a lot lately because it says i felt american for once in my life i never felt it again and i am not a very patriotic person but now that i am living in a whole other country i feel american all of the time (laughs) (laughs) and every time my accent gets made fun of or someone asks me what something is called in america in america i think of this line all of the time now and it's so funny that like 10 years ago i never would have seen myself relating to this song in this way but this is now what it means to me on top of everything else because we're just still adding on (laughs) yeah i feel american all the time now (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a really good song to start the album when they get to the part where they're yelling get up get up get up everything builds 
Mm-hmm. Which nice. is also a great way to start a show. I love when they open with good things. Oh, that sounds so sick. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good opener. And also good things kind of has a, a little bit in a way, all the themes and kind of all the little pieces moving throughout that you're going to see or hear rather on the album, you know, it's a little bit of all the little things in this short two minute opener. It's like, here's what you here's get ready for the next 12 songs. Little, little snip, little sneak peek, if you will. Yeah. So the next song is burn after writing. This one is obviously really close to my heart. <laughs> I have a tattoo of a blue dress, which is referenced a couple of times in the Menzinger songs. There's a song called Timetables that Greg wrote. And he says, once she came like a vision in the night, I fell in love before the morning arrived. She wore a blue dress to combat the heat, drank beer from a bottle and danced in the street. I sent the song Timetables to my husband way back in the day before we ever started dating as a way of saying, yeah, it seems like the timing's just not right. And we're not going to be able to be an item and that just is what it is kind of thing and then later on after we started dating the song burn after writing became a lot more emblematic of our relationship just because really specifically of the lines what i'd give to force your sigh what i'd give to see your smile what i'd give for your caress to see your blue cotton dress balled up on the floor there was a point before we started dating where I actually bought a blue dress specifically to wear to see Woody. (laughs) So I think about that a lot. Um, I still have the dress. I don't wear it, (laughs) but I'll probably never get rid of it. (laughs) I remember the dress. (laughs) (laughs) It had polka dots on it. I know you hate polka dots. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember, because in timetables, they also talk about 4th of July. And I remember buying a blue dress with you and your mom at the mall. And then we did like a little photo shoot on 4th of July. And I was wearing this blue dress and we were like playing with fireworks in the street. And I have these pictures, (laughs) this silly little thing that we did. Yeah, that was with Jess. (laughs) That was a dress. But yeah, I also bought a blue dress and it made me think of the Menzingers. <laughs> I don't have that dress anymore, but what can you do? In the uh, Reddit AMA, somebody asked, <laughs> somebody commented and was like, what's with Greg and blue dresses? <laughs> and Tom, Tom said, he wrote about a blue dress in timetables. I wrote about a blue dress in Burn After Writing. I'm not sure if he's writing about a real one, but I was. It was cotton and cute. Aw, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were written by Tom and... Greg separately. I didn't realize. Yeah, me either. I love the song Burn After Writing. I think it is such a fucking banger. Listening to like the very beginning intro gets me so hype. And <laughs> the best part is when they shout one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a hill that I will die on. That that is so important. Like when the Bouncing Souls covered this song, they did not shout one, two, three, four. And I wrote it off immediately. I was like, I need that. It's part of the hype. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I was seeing this guy kind of and I was trying to get him into the Menzingers as I do with everyone I ever meet. And we were listening to the whole album and I was like, here it goes. Here's the best part. One, two, three, four. And he said that if 
counting to four was the best part of the song. It couldn't have been a very good song. And things did not work out with that guy for very much longer. Um, and I I still think about that when I shout the one, two, three, four. But I don't know. That is just such an important part of it to me. It is so silly, so small, but so important. <laughs> oh, it sets it up. It's like when you have the perfect setup, you don't got to try much harder for it. Like it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And it's just like fun to to point the fingers when you're saying them live. Like I like to go one, two, three, four with my fingers in the air. <laughs> it's just a fun thing. It's a fun thing that I've done a hundred times that I want to do a hundred more. I, I just, I love it. I love that very small part. Um, but my favorite part of the song is also the part about the blue cotton dress balled up on the floor Mm -hmm. um but just that whole thing like it's not even i just want to see you naked it's i want to see you cry i want to feel you i want i want you to sigh i also want you to be naked and (laughs) (laughs) man what i would give to feel that way about another person <laughs> you know, like they just encapsulate that desire and that longing for it so good with that line. I love the chorus, the hook on this song. I'm a sucker for a for an incredible melody and like a, a singable melody and just a super catchy chorus, super catchy hook, as they should be. The whole, you know, you cut my hair, left writing everywhere. Like I I I kind of swoon every time I hear that. That is such an incredible part. Also, like the line, was I wishing on satellites? Just this, is every shooting star, are they really shooting stars? Or are they just satellites, right? Just, just, just looks and sounds nice. But, but, but back to that chorus. The chorus on this song, like two only two songs in, and that's what you get? That, that's incredible. It's crazy. Yeah, there's some notes from, from Reddit that Tom wrote about the chorus of the song. He said, the cutting hair part refers to making a drastic change in someone. It's also a reference to the song Sansom by Regina Spector, which is a take on the biblical story of Sansom. He said the red ink refers to editing a piece of literature or grading a paper and is a throwback to the first verse, which is a stretched out analogy using writing as the metaphor. The hands part refers to the person who the song is about. She once told me that she read you can tell a lot about a person's character by looking at their hands, calluses, mannerisms with their hands, etc. I love Regina Spector. I did not know that. I read that that line was in reference to a different song called A New England by Billy Bragg. And the lyric was, I saw two shooting stars last night. I wished on them, but they were only satellites. But maybe that is just similar lines. Um, I did not know the thing about Regina Spector, though. That's even better. (laughs) All right, track three on the album, The Obituaries the song is this the best song on the album i mean it's got to be one of the most iconic for sure it's gotta be when i saw them last week they closed with this so they did their little okay we're going off the stage and then oh okay we'll come back for a couple of encore songs and they played lookers and then they played the obituaries as the very last song for their set do they usually end or close with the obituaries often i would say not every time but they do always play it, and I respect them for that because they they know I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> they know we all want to hear it. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen them without them playing it. 
So there's a big confusion in one of the lines in the song at the very end. I am the shadow of the waxing slain. No one ever knows what they're saying and everyone just kind of mumbles through that part. And I think it's hilarious that every time they play this song, that's the part where they back away from the microphone and let the crowd sing. And I know they're just up there giggling to themselves because (laughs) no one is getting it right. (laughs) But... (laughs) I did research this, and it is a reference to a novel called Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov. Excuse my pronunciation. And it is a multi-layered novel, but death and remembering things of the past are big themes, just like in this entire album. (laughs) So I can see the correlation with this novel. But the line in the novel is, I was the shadow of the waxing slain in the false azure of the window pane. And they describe how the speaker witnessed a waxing, which is a type of bird, die by crashing into the window reflecting the sky. So the bird mistook the false azure of the sky's reflection in the window for the real thing and tried to fly into it. Kate, I'm so glad that you found that fact because I could not find a link for that anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also glad that I found that because I've been wondering, (laughs) but I just accepted that to be the lyric and never really thought too much about it until, until now. Do you remember what you thought the lyric was before? Cause I was thinking about it. I couldn't remember what my like misheard lyric was for it. I don't remember what it was for that, but the, just as a fun misheard lyric thing, the one that I will never, ever forget um, going back to timetables. Timetables ended up being one of my favorite songs by the Menzingers, even though it is not on this album. It is still one of my all-time favorite songs. And they have not played that song in so long. The last time they played it was in like 2013 or 14 at Fest that I remember seeing it. And I didn't know it well enough, but it got stuck in my head. And I thought the lyric was as timetables and chairs. And I just kept singing that (laughs) out loud. And you told me after the set that that was not the lyric. I was still singing it out loud, walking (laughs) through the streets of Gainesville. And that's the one that I'll never forget. It became one of my favorite songs. And then they never played it again live for me. (laughs) I don't remember what I thought the lyric was for this song (laughs) now. These stories y'all have (laughs) because they're so great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Obituaries, another song with an amazing core, amazing hook, amazing chorus, more great lines. Maybe I'm not dying. I'm just living in decaying cities. The whole shadow of the wax wing, which is kind of a tough line to like expect the crowd to not mumble, but um, also beautiful, beautiful imagery, beautiful, beautiful line there. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, it doesn't help that the lyrics are not even correct on Spotify. Yeah, um, I always see slightly different versions when I look at the lyrics. I do. But yeah, very beautiful lyrics. I mean, even just at the beginning, I let a thousand splinters pierce right through my spoiled liver, whatever that was left of it. That is the most beautiful way I have ever heard someone say, I got fucking wasted, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I got wasted and I'm not stopping anytime soon, right? (laughs) Like, uh, Kings. So Gates is next. And it's hard to say that the obituaries is the most iconic song on the album when right after that we have Gates. (laughs) 
Oh man, happiness is just a moment. How many times do we see that called back to in other songs? Like Spanish love songs has that song where they say, you told me happiness is just a moment from the floor of your apartment. Uh, Referencing back to this. Oh, and not hard to fall for a waitress when you both smoke the same cigarettes. Another very iconic line. I always think about that one tweet that you made when we were at Fast that year and the brand of cigarettes that you smoked was out of stock. (laughs) What was the tweet? (laughs) You don't remember? Okay. Um, It was something like, it's not hard to fall for all of Gainesville when you both smoke smoke the same cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was really funny of me to say. (laughs) I remember that, the camel blue era. (laughs) Uh, Now we all just vape inside. What a different time. The line happiness is just a moment is so (laughs) so I was on testosterone for about a year and a half. I was on a low dose of testosterone and um, I'm not on it right now because I had some sort of allergic reaction to the carrier oils in it. So that's great. But (laughs) I, I plan on getting back on testosterone partly because I'm recording this podcast and I hate the way that my voice sounds, but (laughs) I have a testosterone goal of being able to sing the line happiness is just a moment because they get low (laughs) in that one part and it's one of the only parts of any men's singer song that i still can't sing even my friend chris i can sing my friend chris all the way through now i'm so proud of you (laughs) thanks i know that that was a big deal i think that happiness is just a moment is another 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 way to say that Nothing gold can stay, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, just like, man, things are good for now, which is a reoccurring theme in my life as I am always moving. And I live in a town for three months and I make a ton of really good friends. And then we all have to say goodbye to each other, which is what I'm going through right now today. And these last three months have been such a happy moment for me. And now I have to say goodbye and move on to the next thing. And I'm going to be happy again. I'm going to have those moments. But right now, looking back on those memories that I made, those were some pretty happy moments that I'm going to miss. You know, Kate, I like to ask, that's okay. You know, with all the, the moving, the the traveling, you know, the three months, a few months there, have you, or do you think you will, kind of experience the same feeling of burnout that the Menzingers, you know, so they felt leading up to this album and that tour, or is that a thought ever like occurred to you? Do you, do you, do you like any of the songs that we've gone through so far? I think it's just to like help you relate on that end. Yes, it has happened specifically when traveling became my job. As long as I am doing the traveling for me and that is what I want to be doing, then I I'm fine and happy. But as soon as it's someone else telling me to do it, then it gets hard. So I got a job over the summer driving people, doing road trips and camping trips through national parks all over the country, which sounds like the absolute dream job going on road trips to national parks is what I is that is the ultimate thing that I can do for fun. But as soon as it was my job, it got really hard and I did get (laughs) very burnt out and I kind of lost my passion for it. And then I had a whole existential crisis because this is the only thing that I've ever loved doing in my life. And now I hated doing it. But I also think when COVID happened, 
I couldn't travel outside of the country. And then I was just going back to all of these places that I had been before and nothing was new and exciting. And I just wanted to quit and stay at home and spend some time with my family, which I did. But I had already had this trip plans to Guatemala. So I went on it and it reignited that love for me. And I realized maybe I wasn't burnt out on traveling. I was just burnt out on traveling in America. So mm. here I am not in America for the next foreseeable couple years. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I did get burnt out. But once I was able to change my perspective and find a new way to do it, mm. reignited my love. Thank you for sharing. Um, just wish the men's ears would tour here, but you know. <laughs> we will spur them to do so on social media. <laughs> no one ever wants to come to New Zealand. They always go to Australia and they're like, just pop on over. And Australia is a three hour flight away. It's not quite close enough. <laughs> but there is another thing that I want to say about Gates, and it is back to Spanish love songs and their head nod lyric referencing the happiness is just a moment. I want to talk about. This time that might have been the best night of my whole life. And it was the first time that I ever went to a great Canadian beer purge at Fest. Yo. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, the great Canadian beer purge is the unofficial Fest after party. And that is where everyone gets together and drinks all of the alcohol that they have purchased over the weekend yep. and cannot fly back to wherever they live with. And so you just, you gotta drink it all. And, Great time. Um, oh, right. And so my first year that we did that, there were rumors that Spanish Love Songs was going to play a set. And we were all waiting for it. We were in this hotel room or a hotel conference room and it got to be like three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, okay, this isn't happening. Spanish love songs is not coming. And then the rumor started that it was going to be a Menzinger's cover set, which is hilarious because there is this like internet meme that Spanish love songs and the Menzingers are actually the same band. Um, <laughs> And people get them confused and they're like, oh, yeah, Gates, I love that Spanish love song song. So it would have been a very funny thing for Spanish love songs to show up and do a Menzinger's cover set. But it started to get so late that no one thought it was actually happening. And then a, I think it was like three or four o'clock in the morning when all of a sudden they were there and they were playing. And that had to have been the latest show of my entire life. I was so tired, but that was the coolest thing. And... They played the gates and it was fun because they also have that lyric, but they also messed up the lyric in the obituaries with the waxing slain. Um, 10 out of 10. One of the best nights of my life. I will never forget that. That night was so fun. I was, was also there. I think that was my awesome. I think my first great Canadian beer purge that was my second. And I think that was what fest 17. No fest. It wasn't this last one or the year that COVID happened, that no, the fest didn't happen. It was the year before that. I just remember that when it happened, I was I was not in college at that time. I just graduated. So I'm thinking it was it was either nineteen eighty. I don't remember. I don't recall. But yeah, I had no I had no idea that there was, you know, Spanish love songs coming in. I wasn't listening to them at the time. I had no idea that it was a Menzinger's cover set. I just remember seeing the lead singer Spanish love songs out there guitar in the middle of the windham which doesn't exist anymore it's a different hotel now that's i don't think there is um open to festers <laughs> down there anymore probably because of the great canadian beer purge 
Yeah, probably because of that. And they changed names. They changed hands. It's not the same place anymore. But I was like, damn, this this is great. And this is just the latest show I've ever seen at Fest. Yeah, it was like almost it was like almost five. And seeing everyone that were tired, kind of winding down, trying to now mix Pedialyte in their beer, just perk up and energized at this super late night. Uh, so that was sick. That was such a great experience. That was a great beer purge. I remember that exactly. Was that the year that we met you? That we met each other? I I think that it was. I think it was the year you and I met, Kate. I know I had met August before then at, at my first fest, Fest 15, because we were volunteering at um now known as Vivid Music Hall. I think at the time it was Cowboys. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It has another name, was it? <laughs> yes, that eight that seconds. Place, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It was eight seconds. That no, that place is it was eight seconds, and it's changed. It changed to Cowboys and something else, and now it's Vivid Music Hall. It's been Vivid Music Hall for the past like year or two, maybe year and a half. Yes, that place has changed names at least five times since 2015. It's always going to be eight seconds in my heart, though. It really is. <laughs> But uh, also, like, August, just, oh, Jesus, at the, at the mention of that place. Well, when it was Cowboys, they had a fucking mechanic bowl in the venue. R.I.P. to the bowl. I miss that thing. <laughs> I think it was sucking. It was stupid, but fun. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that was, the, that was the same fest where we met each other for the first time, Kate. Yeah, that was a great fest. It, it, it really was. Best friends. Best friends forever. <laughs> the last thing that I want to say about Gates is that I always love when bands change lyrics when they're playing live. And at the end of the song, when they sing, I'm marching up to your gates today to throw my lonely soul away. And Greg changes it to throw my fucking soul away, which is certifiably much better. So, <laughs> amen. <laughs> yeah, much better, much better change. The last thing I want to say about Gates <laughs> is when they talk about carving their name into the Pirate Park Cliffs. Where is that? Can someone please tell me? Because I know that it's a place in Philly and it's like, that's not the official name, but it's like something that like the locals call it. And I would love mm-hmm. to do my my tourism where I like to go to places that people sing about in songs that I like. And I would just, I would love to go to these cliffs. They sound cool. And I, I don't know where they are because I'm not from Philly. <laughs> listeners please write in <laughs> you can just send me the location on google <laughs> i won't tell anyone i just i need to go there no i i got you looking at it so i was looking it up looking at the lyrics of the song so from their hometown of scranton it's like a short drive from there there's this artificial lake called lake lake wallen popak popak i don't know peter pepper white lake wallen popak it's an artificial lake in the Pocono Mountains there. And I, I think that's it. That Lake Wall and Popak. I think that's what you're looking for. Oh, okay. Easy enough. Never mind, listeners. We got it. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> you can I, write in. I remember trying to find it, though. Like, the last time I went to Pennsylvania, I was trying to research where it was, and I was having a hard time. But that was also a long time ago. I don't know. But anyway, okay, those cliffs exist. We can all go. We'll have a fest reunion. Yeah. Fest friends, go to the cliffs. Let's plan that. <laughs> Track five on the impossible past. Ava House. Ava House. I love the story behind the song. Ava is our good friend Danielle's dog. There was a house venue called Ava House that was named after her. 
Tom said, I personified her for the song and made it about blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. This song is so cute. Do you remember when you just really wanted to name stuff Ava August? Because then it would be whatever it was that you were naming after a song, after a house, after a dog. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember that, but that's funny. I think... It was maybe when you were like talking about getting a new pet, but it also could have been like when you started playing Pokemon Go, you might have named your Pokemon Ava. Listen, in 2016, (laughs) (laughs) in 2016, when Pokemon Go came out, I named all of my highest CP Pokemon after people who were mentioned in Menzinger songs. So... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm certain that there was one named Ava. There was also like a specialist Jeg, a Chris. There was all of the different names that have ever been mentioned by the Menzingers. Uh, I'll never forget that. I don't know if I have ever seen the Menzingers live without them playing Ava House. I think that this is their favorite song. Mm. It's interesting because I think that it has... A little bit of a different sound than anything else they've ever done. Like the beat is just so intense and everything is built around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's the drummer who's always trying to get them to play it then. <laughs> the intense. <laughs> His favorite song. <laughs> sneak, I don't know. They drum. play it every time. <laughs> yeah, they play it every time. Okay. Sticks it into every set list. You know, it's it's probably my favorite song on this album. It's just a, a love song, a eulogy, a lament, reminiscing. I kind of view it as like touring for so long, you're bummed out, and you think of the places you miss and something you can't go back to. And it's like, damn, I can't. Maybe house doesn't exist anymore. This crazy, messy, smoky DIY haven. It makes my heart flutter, especially when the song starts. Just the Ava, you're trying to get high. My heart feels happy. It is a really fun song to sing along to. You Can't Touch Us, We're Untouchable. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And then We're Alive, Celebrate. Never Afraid, We're Fearless Together. Uh, I love that. Just putting the homies on top. It's so cute. It's (laughs) so good. Yeah, this is my, when I'm skiing and I'm about to send it down some steep shit. And I know that like, if I fall, I will get hurt. But you know what? You can't touch me. I'm fearless doesn't matter Mm -hmm. i got this everyone else they're just wasting their lives away but i'm here i'm doing this and i'm i got it i have this (laughs) we'll be all right yeah enemies are so far away oh it's just what a positive song what a fun little tune yeah (laughs) relish what you have because things fall apart huh yeah it all comes back around (laughs) (laughs) this is a it's it's all cyclical. Things fall apart. So relish what you have. Okay. So Sun Hotel. I have some things that I want to say about Sun Hotel that I also want to say about Casey. So getting a little ahead of myself. But Sun Hotel is such a good song. And there's two different versions of it. One on the Impossible Past and one on the Possible Past, which is the acoustic version that they put out. And they slightly changed the lyrics and have some banger lyrics in there but specifically the one that always frustrated the fuck out of me was the line 
while Dan played Casey while sipping on Mickey's. And I don't know why this fucked with me for so long because I was like, who the fuck is Dan? <laughs> who is Dan? I can tell you. No, I know now. Okay. <laughs> but I did not know for years. And it wasn't until I saw the Menzingers. It was in Denver in like 20, oh, maybe like 2020 or 2019. It was before COVID. But um, they had this whole spiel about playing Casey and they played that version of it acoustically, which I thought I was never going to get to see live. I am such a sucker for acoustic versions. So it completely caught me off guard. I had no idea they were going to do that. But the spiel that Greg gave first was Dan was the guy who wrote Casey originally, but it wasn't what it is now. It was his song and it had some lines in it that were so good. And they thought that that song was too good to never get heard. So they asked if they could like have it and change it. And it, it became the song Casey now, but the original version was written by Dan and they referenced that in Sun Hotel too. And I finally got all my questions answered and it was very, very good. <laughs> Where do they reference that in Sun Hotel? It's, it's in Sun, Sun Hotel, Hotel too. So it's yeah. the, it's the oh. one that's on the possible past. Ah, the acoustic version of it is quite a bit different. You said they changed a few lines, but they changed a lot. And somebody somebody asked why there was such a major difference in Tom's AMA. And he was like, you'll have to talk to Greg. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He did say that the first part of the chorus in Sun Hotel is an homage to Leonard Cohen's Chelsea Hotel. mm. I kind of always felt like uh, because I read this AMA forever ago and I kind of always felt like Sun Hotel must have been or must have started as a cover of something else just because of especially because of the way that it changed so much from Sun Hotel 2 to the on the impossible past version. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, that just has to do with their songwriting. And also this goes back to what I was saying before, where so much of their songs sound like they've just always existed. And I don't know another way to describe that, but they but I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I'm reading here that that acoustic version of the hotel is even closer to Leonard Cohen's Chelsea Hotel number two, which could be why it sounds you know, so different. I've, I've, I haven't heard Chelsea Hotel number two or Sun Hotel two. So, so you got some homework. I yes, <laughs> I have very important homework that I have to do before anything else. Yeah, Sun Hotel and Sun Hotel Part Two are both such amazing songs i love them so much um and now that i'm i'm really looking at it and i think that maybe i have not listened to sun hotel part two quite as much just because of the convenience of it um it has not been on spotify up until very recently Uh, that was (laughs) such a good day the day they decided to put on the possible past on spotify so i can casually listen to these songs now and not have to go out of my way but looking at the lyrics now, pretty much every single line is different. You were right, August. Yeah, and I fucking love the acoustic version so much. There are so many lines. Like, I could quote basically every line from the acoustic version as one of my favorite lines. It's so, 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 so good. But I watched a thousand tiny goosebumps gain the territory of your skin. Yes. Oh. oh, my God. I think about that line at least once a day, every single day. As you should. <laughs> All right. I gotta listen to Sun Hotel too now. Yep. <laughs> you know, I said Ava House is my favorite song. It's either Ava House or Sun Hotel. I can't pick. I love 
sucker for melodies, sucker for a nice hook. I'm also sucker for reminiscing and like any song that's looking back at some memory. Yeah, how haven't you listened to the Menzingers before? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's a, that I've I've been beating myself up. I'm like, this is I don't know why I've held I've held off for so long. I can be stubborn like that. I'm like, oh, oh I have so much to listen to. I gotta I'll get to it eventually. And eventually, you know, five years passes and then I decide to finally do the dive and I feel like such a fool, you know. Well, I don't think that you're a fool. Nothing wrong with listening to it when when it matters, you know? It's never too late to start listening to the men's ears. <laughs> but some comments on the actual Sun Hotel on the album we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> on the impossible <laughs> fast. <laughs> um, I kind of going back to the whole thing that I was talking about earlier with the traveling and the burnout. There are days and not good days, mind you, where this song hits the most. Like, again, did not know that I'm pretty sure this corner of the world is the loneliest corner in the whole world was going to hit in such a way. I had no way of knowing the first time I ever heard this song that I would literally be on the opposite side of the planet from everybody that I know and love for such a long time. And there are days that get very, very lonely. And this song always makes me feel less alone because. I am not the only one who has ever felt this way. But like, I am literally in a lonely corner of the world right now. And I've been listening to this song a whole lot lately. Yeah. I mean, like, like songs like these really help you feel less alone. Because I can't imagine, can't imagine that being so far from a place you care about, people you care about, physically, like literally, just in every sense of the word that must be so grating but yeah stuff song like this that's really cathartic i think really helps out with that so yeah that's crazy feeling less alone with music like this i mean that's the whole reason i got into this whole genre in the first place all those years ago <laughs> and it's still doing the damn job it really is it's that forever music i say that's funny i have a playlist on spotify called forever songs and this yo <laughs> You got me. I'm going to make one myself. All the songs on this album, Sunnetel included, like they're just a good opening is really important. That first line, that first riff, that sets the whole tone for what you're going to see in your head, imagery, relatability, feeling, emotion. And all these songs are so fresh, so clean. They put a lot, I can tell like they put a lot of work in really just getting everything in on here. And I think Sunnetel represents that really well. Yeah. I think we can move on. Yeah. Sculptors and Vandals, track seven. Said we wanted to be interesting, then you fell asleep. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) That is you. (laughs) Another song about remembering right off the bat. I remember. It's like, of course you do. You're the Menzingers. All you guys do is remember. We love it. (laughs) So right up the same nostalgia track that we've been on on this whole time but yeah just i think that you know like the open chat gdp ai thing like if you ask it to write a menzinger song it (laughs) is going to include i remember i was younger now i'm older and tired like all of this song is just so it it encapsulates all of it (laughs) the menzinger soundboard don't forget reference to alcohol also in there I'll come single, seeing double. Such a good line. Yeah. Been there. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a it's a crazy line. It's and it's like four times on the outro. And it really hones in that wandering feeling. I love how the song is split into two. You got that somber, melancholic, acoustic intro, and then just picks up fast tempo punk, and it's just blaring at you for the rest of the track. Yeah. And it follows that like classic Menzinger song structure because it's never like verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. It's always like verse, 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 chorus, chorus, chorus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that classic, here's verse one, here's verse two. Now let's get into it. Like setting them up, knocking them down. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate how kind of like, how kind of candid they are talking about problems, issues, and whatnot on this. Like I know, like sculptors and vandals is. It seems like it's definitely about alcoholism, just drinking, you know, tasting the fruit. These days, you find me where the nectar's plenty, and how maybe the lyrics aren't too open about it, but definitely how the song sounds kind of adds an element of haste, an element of like destructiveness and whatnot about it, and the effects of it on individual and the relationships. Like, I just walk home single, seeing double, like really just sums it up. You know, it sums it up to a T. It does. The next track is called Mexican Guitars. Mexican Guitars means so much to me. Um, For a few lines, I think by now, if you haven't sensed the theme here, but um, everything I do now is meaningless, so I'm off to wander around the world for a little bit. Come on, you're telling me I didn't write that line? (laughs) That that's not about me specifically? (laughs) Um, I listen to that song every time I quit a job and go to wander around the world, which happens literally yesterday (laughs) again. So this song is holding true. It's on my playlist that I have for moving because I've moved so much that I need to have a playlist about it. Um, (laughs) But it's not it's not just that line. That's the obvious one. But Oh, with bad tattoos of all the bands you loved in high school. How many bad tattoos of bands that we loved did we get in high school, August? (laughs) I mean, I wasn't in high school, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, we came out the gates with bad tattoos of the bands we loved in high school and telling people that they had to listen to them all the time. Like, that's that part makes me think of you so much. Oh, (laughs) The song makes me think of you a lot because I have a Valentine that you wrote for me on my fridge and you addressed it to me and called me my old friend, parentheses, the kind I could confide in. Oh, that was so cute of me to do. I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Another pretty fun memory, but also slightly embarrassing. Let's be real is i i really love it when they play this song live i really love it and there was a fest i think it was our second fest so fest 12 when we volunteered at god what is that venue that's right now it might be an arcade now oh it's the like atlantic? Across, yes the atlantic we volunteered at the atlantic and something happened with the stage manager i don't think it was the plan the whole time but the stage manager wasn't there and so scotty the menzinger's tour manager ended up 
being the stage manager for that day. The Menzingers weren't playing. He was just helping out Fest because we didn't have a stage manager. And he gave us all his phone number in case anything went wrong, in case he had to leave to go help with the band. And that was an irresponsible thing to do. (laughs) Why would you give an 18-year-old your phone number when you're in charge of their favorite band? (laughs) So for like... several shows after that like several tours there were times where i would text scotty which is so inappropriate now looking back i did not know that you did that (laughs) i would text scotty and ask ask if they were gonna play mexican guitars (laughs) and he every time every time i don't think he knew who i was but every time he would say ah they haven't been playing it on this tour but make sure to come by the merch booth and say hi and i think that he was just trying to figure out who i was by telling me to do that but every time i would go say hi to him like we were friends we're not friends (laughs) Uh. (laughs) so sorry scotty i i don't have his number anymore i'm never i would never do that again now but that is a thing that i did when i was 18 19 years old (laughs) Oh my god, I'm tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> I did finally get to see them play Mexican guitars again, though. They played on the Impossible Pass all the way through on this last tour. And I saw it twice. I got to see it in Chicago. And I got to see it in Florida at Riot Fest and at Fest. And it was everything I wanted it to be, truthfully. I'm glad I got those last two times. Because I doubt they'll play it again. <laughs> this guy was probably looking at his phone the whole time. Like, we're finally playing it. <laughs> <laughs> this song is so sick. I don't know what to say. Uh, I like the whole, I wish, trying to get out of Mexico. Which one can I take to Mexico? Like, a lot of Americana music is the, the idea of getting down to Mexico is, like, really strong. So I really enjoyed hearing that. And also... I did what I did to get away from this because everything that's happened has left me a total wreck and everything that I do now is meaningless. There's a reworking of reverse from Buona Pizza by Tiger's Jaw, which is part of the Scranton lyric chain, which was essentially bands from Scranton, Pennsylvania. These are all homies, all friends, reworking each other's lyrics. And at the time of this, at the time of this album, but after, they went from 2005 to 2013. I don't know if they've kept doing it, and it still is a thing. But it's really neat that they're reworking lyrics of from one of their friends' bands on a song looking at an old friend, looking at getting away, kind of reminiscing. Uh, I thought that was just it's really neat. It's really cool how they keep you know, that Scranton, Pennsylvania gang alive. That is really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I know, like, Tiger's Jaw, Captain Resinking, Menzingers, and the Front Bottoms all grew up in similar areas. And someone told me a story once about how they, like, ended up going back to a house party that, like, later after they all became famous bands. And it was, like, ended up being on the street that some of them grew up on. Like, all of those bands all were so close together. Wow. yeah. What a cool street to have been on. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I really love the theme of uh, going to Mexico as a way of running away from your problems. Um, and I think that, 
<laughs> they referenced that more than once also in Sunday morning. I love that song so hard. much. I know. I love that song so much because you love that song. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, though, we could run as far as Mexico. Like, we can get away from here. We can run as far as Mexico. And then here in Mexico, Mexican guitars, they talk about it again. Like, which road can I take to get to Mexico? Like, it's time to go. Both songs that I had to listen to the first time I went to Mexico. And no one else in the car was happy about it because they just wanted to listen to their EDM music. But I made them do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't not. You can't not listen to these songs. <laughs> on your first trip to mexico there's some kind of cosmic rule yeah come on now the song name drops the place you're going you gotta you have to my favorite thing yeah. and the only place they ever talk about is philly so <laughs> <laughs> I, I have these two songs to hold on to that i get to listen to on other trips that's not true they talk about other places as well in uh midwestern states and there's a couple others, but yeah, I don't know. I like multiple songs talking about going to Mexico as a way of running away. Oh, um, but also it. just in general, like a great fucking road trip song. Like, you know what? I want the song that I'm listening to on this road trip to be talking about cruise control and the radio. Like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. I love that. I'm on cruise control and the radio is on. Sounds like a Tom Petty reference. <laughs> It does. Right? To running down a dream. But my van doesn't have cruise control. I'm, I'm bummed. <laughs> right. so we're coming to the title track on The Impossible Past. Yeah, this one's kind of like an interlude song. It's much, much slower than the rest of the album. It references back to the first track when it says, We took rides in your American muscle car. I felt American. Mm, yep and it talks about all that drinking and driving gotta uh it's like that's something that you don't admit to you know <laughs> or you just don't do but writing a song about it is so raw and honest and ugly and that's just i love it like i i love that they talked about this very taboo thing even though there's so many negative things. I mean, like, don't fucking drink and drive. That is not the point I'm making. I just, they're being so honest in these lyrics that you kind of hate it a little bit, but it's such a good song. And also, like, there's the consequences. They crash the car right after that. So, yeah, yeah, no, they're not glorifying <laughs> drinking and driving. No. You know, they got the consequences laid out for them. I think We Should Have Smoked is also kind of a little reference to Gates with uh, Not Hard to Fall for a Waitress and you both smoke, smoke the same cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Which is neat. Which is neat. And the American dream, the American muscle car comes to a miserable crash. Can't have nice things. We always dreamt of having nice things. Yeah, the song incorporates so many other songs in it. We got we got nice things. We got gates. We have uh, good things, and then also your American muscle car. I mean, they talk about how the car still got it in Casey. Yeah. So I I think it is just a little like recap, little tie it all together. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mention this at the top, but I figured that I would mention it on the title track. They did confirmed that on the impossible past is an allusion to a line at the end of part two chapter 30 of lolita 
the line reads, I was weeping again, drunk from the impossible pass. Wow. That's really cool. Ah, uh, chills. <laughs> Every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the impossible pass, you know, feelings of hopelessness and misery, trying to reclaim, try, trying to claim what you never had in the first place. I think that's really a sense of security, safety, these ideas. Whatever they begin with, I think it's a really that's a really good that's a really way, good way to encapsulate it. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I've got for this song. That's thirty five words long. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can move on from all the impossible pass into nice things. Track ten, which is a great narrative follow up from the impo- from the impossible on oh, the impossible pass. I also think that this might be one of the Menzinger's favorite songs. So I can confirm, Tom said, at least 11 years ago, Tom said that this was his favorite song that he's ever written because of how much time he spent thinking it out. I fucking knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Just because they play it so much. (laughs) This is another one that they always play. This Um, is also another one that they changed the lyrics live, at least most of the time. When I saw them last week, Tom did not do this, and I was a bit bummed out. But usually, when they play nice things, Tom will change the line at the end because the line is "climb the wall before the fall," and then he changes it to "climb the wall before the banks destroy us all." It's a very anti-capitalism song. Incredibly anti-capitalism. That, like you know, the Americana sound and feel out the window, politically charged, driving punk song. And it's like, look. This is the American dream you're so focused on. Where's your American muscle car? You know, just be happy, sane, rich, and thin, and you'll get your nice things. It's like, is this really the dream? Is it? Do these things make you feel safe? Are they even your own? Has your name become known and desired? That is such a like a Hollywood famous actor. Like, are they even happy? Yep. Just because they have all their nice things. Does that make them happy? Is that what you want? Is that what they want? Do they even want that? And then at the end, the uh, um, climb the wall before the fall. They also talk about a fall later on the album in reference to killing yourself. Trigger warning. I don't should I have said that first. I'll put but, it in the show notes. Okay, great. Uh, we were going to have to get there eventually <laughs> anyway. But <laughs> yeah, it's like this is a little foreshadowing for um, Freedom Bridge. Mm-hmm. Like the things maybe leading up to that. Yeah. Trying to reach this American dream that is unattainable. Which is uh, rough. That was just rough as hell. Moving on to Casey. 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 <laughs> My first favorite Menzinger song. This was the song that really like did it for me you know like this is the one that i was like oh fuck i i like this band i didn't know what was about to happen i didn't know i was gonna go see them 22 times all over the world for the next 11 years but (laughs) this is this was the tipping point for me and just that very first opening line i sat and thought about you on the long ride back to philly the way it sounds when they sing that line is again just like august said earlier that is a song that has always been written that line, I can picture driving on the 95, going to see someone and thinking about them and just, uh, it scratches all of those itches in my brain that I like. 
I also think that this might be the most nostalgic sounding song on the album. This is the king. The nostalgic king. Yes. <laughs> and you know what's some bullshit is I had a roommate named Casey for like three years and never once did we get drunk before we did the dishes. I'm still mad about it. I can't believe that that's true. Never once. I think it was just because we didn't do our dishes, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a different time. Missed opportunities. <laughs> exactly. And this is another one of those songs that like I do have memories associated with it. Like I remember dating my high school boyfriends and I was driving to Orlando and we were like, oh, we're exploring this new city. And then we ended up both moving to Orlando and we're like, oh, we have to go find that that place that we found forever ago when our world was the size of Florida. And that was all part of it but like this isn't that's not the only thing that this song makes me think of and it's just like one of those things like that was the first thing but this song still belongs to me I'm still gonna love this song with my whole heart it's not like it just reminds me of some ex you know yeah I wrote down that this is Jude's favorite Menzo song but I asked him yesterday and he said that it's not his favorite anymore he said that it's probably the obituaries which is a very angsty 13 year old thing to say <laughs> What a new update. I know. It's brand new. It just came out last night. <laughs> I mean, it's also not my favorite Menzinger song anymore, but it was still my first. And I'll always hold it that special place in my heart. So I'm sure maybe Jude will feel the same. Yeah. Maybe give him like two, three years. He comes back to it. He's like, he's like, oh no, what was I what was I thinking? It, it is it is a really nice song. You know that when Jude is like on his first date and he's trying to get this girl to listen to the men singers, he's going to tell her about the time that he crowd surfed for the first time to Casey. <laughs> like he's going to hold that. He's going to have that memory forever. She'll swoon immediately and fall in love just because of that story. Who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> they also they don't play Casey as often. So I, I feel like maybe that's part of it. But still not never. Like, I always have hope. I don't have hope for Mexican guitars ever anymore, but I, I always have hope for Casey. There's a chance they'll play it. Yeah. Oh, I have a misheard lyric for this one. I always thought that the lyric was Jen and Casey, as in two girl <laughs> names. And <laughs> he was just like a baller, you know? <laughs> like, oh, God. me and Jen and Casey, we had such a good time. All of us would get drunk. Oh, what a good time. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until I think I posted like something on Instagram with the wrong lyrics. Like I, I doubled down on it. I typed <laughs> it out. And it was that same high school boyfriend who was like, you know, that's not the lyric, right? <laughs> Ooh. And get corrected like that smart. Ooh. It's fine. It was just Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Kate, I know that you mentioned this earlier, but Tom talked about on the Reddit AMA. Somebody asked to explain a bit who Casey is and what she means to the, to the album. And he said, you can take what you want from Casey. It should mean something different to everyone. I actually didn't write the lyrics to that song, so I can't speak too much to it. But the chorus was written by our friend Dan Zazinski. He described Casey as the female projection of himself. He also said that the original song is an absolute tearjerker and that they should get him to post it online at some point. And I feel like we should make that happen. What I would give to hear the original Dan version after wondering for so long 
like years and years that ate away at me truthfully like I genuinely wondered about that for such a long time I guess I could have just looked up this reddit AMA from 11 years ago but (laughs) I liked finding out the way that I did I would love to hear that song me too all right let's go to I can't seem to tell again lyric masterminds (laughs) And another good count. I love the one, two, three, fours. I really do. <laughs> Remember the days when I had a conscience. Yeah, me neither. As the weeks drag on, the alcohol loses its touch. Of all the references of alcohol in this album, that's the, I think it's the first one to say it's not the same anymore, which I think is a lot. <laughs> but it still doesn't stop them because at the end, you know, I can't. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You're right. He can't seem to tell if it's his head or the earth that's spinning around because they drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Even when they think that it's not working like before, it's still there. I think it is really another good example of just really, really neat like just songwriting. With one last great hope of a messiah, I check the time and admit to the surrender terms. Yeah, it's it's over. It's done. I can't seem to tell. I'm spinning around. All right, the last song in the album, Freedom Bridge. Freedom Bridge, the song that they never played live one single time ever until best. What year was it? I was going to ask you, I feel like it was like 2017. What was the year that you missed? I didn't miss it. I didn't miss the whole all of fest. It was I could only come to two days of fest. And I did get to see the Menzinger set, but then they did a secret acoustic set where they played On the Impossible Pass all the way through for the first time. I'm so sorry to tell you, Kate, it was not an acoustic set. It was a full band set. Well, why are you letting me tell the story? I wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) And so the thing is that we don't talk about this. (laughs) Me and August are not allowed to talk about it because I get so upset every single time. That I missed this happening. So it was the first time that they ever played Freedom Bridge live. And I, I I wasn't there. Yeah, they played a mystery set at the Wooly that year. And they played the album all the way through. And it was great. It was so good. Um, but you did, you did get to see them play it again like the next year. No, they didn't play it until... I didn't see them play Freedom Bridge until this last tour where they played on the Impossible Pass all the way through. First time I saw freedom bridge live was at riot fest in like 90 degree heat sun still shining sweating my face off and it was not the vibe but it still meant a whole lot to me (laughs) but i think that this song is one that hurts for them to play which is why they don't play it which makes me feel bad for like being greedy like i need to hear it because i love them but i don't think that it's a fun song for them to play the references to standing on the ledge and taking the leap are about a friend committing suicide. Mm. So I can't blame them. It's okay if they don't want to play it live. It's uh, it's a it's a heavy track. It wraps up the narrative and the political commentary in the album, especially that last verse when it's like now we're standing on the ledge and we're looking at the ground and the ambiguity. Of the line red and blue lights screaming step up off that ledge which they didn't say step down step off and go step down which you know kind of looking at how cops don't help 
periodic, like further more political things at the end of the song, which is it's uh I know I said Ava House is my favorite, and then I said Sun Hotel is my favorite. I think really is Freedom Bridge is my favorite. I can't, I can't, I can't pick. I love all three of them. I can never pick. <laughs> I'm so yeah. bad at picking favorites. Yeah. Oh, I know my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. It's Casey and Gates and Mexican guitars. <laughs> but I do really like this song, and it holds that special place in my heart. And I also like this is my favorite song when I sing and play my ukulele. Like it is such a fun song for me to sing, which again, not the vibe of it, but I do really, really enjoy it. All right. We've officially reached the two hour mark for recording. So let's <laughs> wrap, wrap it up. Okay. Yeah, I think we can wrap up the track by track at this point. Yeah, so Kate. Tell me what you think makes this band so special. I think that there's a lot that makes this band special. Um, the incredible lyricism is probably first and foremost my favorite part. I love the sounds, <laughs> the sounds of it, the voices. Um, I think a lot of people, when I've been trying to get people into the Menzingers before, sometimes people only like Tom's songs and sometimes people only like Greg's songs. But it's cool that there's the two different singers and that you have those options. If one isn't your vibe, maybe another one is. And yeah, those options are cool. But I love it. I love the energy that they bring live. Watching Tom jump around the stage, even though... He does it a little bit less now, which is fine. We've been seeing them for 10 years. Um, but that unmatched energy, truthfully, is so much fun to see live. And I think that the love that people have for the Menzingers is always like you can feel that energy in the crowd. Like no one is there is just like a casual fan. Most of the people are like, oh, this is the band I live and breathe and die by. And we are all here for this right now. Like, we're all on the same page. <laughs> so love the energy at the shows from them, from the crowd. Love the lyrics. And the, the fucking nostalgia, dude. I can never get enough of it. I snort that shit for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, August? So... I have an answer. And again, I'm going to read from Tom's AMA because I think about this so, so much. Uh, Someone asked, they said, I love the conversational tone and personal storytelling of On the Impossible Past. What do you think are the best elements of storytelling and songwriting? And how do you go about honing in on those elements in your own songwriting? So what Tom said was, personally, my favorite element to listen to in a song is that it's telling a story in a combination of a cohesive narrative, not necessarily a plot with a climax and characters, but a vehicle for observations that kind of goes where you expect it to go and aspects of the story and characters that are original observations. You know, not like he was wearing a blue shirt, more like he hadn't been to church in months. And I've always wanted to write a song that has the line he hadn't been to church in months. I, I think that that just really speaks to the way that they write songs and the emotion that they're able to capture within them because of the way that they're writing and the things that they choose to focus on. What they're focusing on is those little pieces of memories that you hold on to and those parts that you're never going to let go of. 
And I'm never going to let go of these songs ever. <laughs> yeah. In the same way, I'm not going to let go of these songs. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to let go of you, you know, like they're forever associated in my brain. So I feel the same way about these songs. I do like my friendships with the people that made these songs matter. Mm-hmm. I love you so much. I'm so glad that we did this. Me too. All right, everyone. What are we listening to now? What is your song or album or band at the moment? I'll go real quick. Jared dropped, not a Scott track, not a Scott email track. Jared dropped a hip hop, kind of a hip hop diss track, dissing a lot of big conservative punk, conservative libertarian, like punk, quote unquote punk artist called Another Unity Song. It's a great hip hop track. Been banging that since it came out, like what, yesterday? And then Jeff Rosenstock's new album, Hell Mode. That album, that's stellar. That's a good album. That's those, like, the recent things. And then I've gone back to, uh, the 2015 collaboration album, Sour Soul, between the rapper of Wu-Tang fame, Ghostface Killer, and Bad Bad Not Good, the Canadian jazz outfit. Amazing killer album. Those are the three things I've just been back to forth on. I did not realize Jeff Rosenstock put out a new album, and I have three hours to drive today, and I can't wait. That is such good news. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> You're going to love it. I'm so excited. I just saved it while you were talking. <laughs> Spanish Love Songs also just put out a new album. Yes. Yeah, I've been listening to that a lot lately. You know how like you want a band to progress so they don't keep putting out the same album over and over again? Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. They put out the same album over again, but like I'm really happy about it because I wanted more. <laughs> 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 like I'm really glad that it's so similar. So that's been on my um my repeats as of late. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna throw it back this week because talking about this album brought up a lot of old memories, and one of them is the song Towers by the Felix Culpa. Towers is it is a masterpiece of a song, and at five and a half minutes, it takes you on this entire journey. The song starts with the lines, "I press my wrist against your rib cage to feel our pulses in the same place. There's a safety in knowing something stays where they should stay." And it ends with the lines, I press my wrist against your red cage just to feel it when you pull away. There's a disconnect that's louder than the things that we don't say. Oh, that's back good. When, back when Woody and I first started dating and I was an emo-ass 18-year-old, I posted the first lines on Twitter thinking that when we broke up, I'd go back and post the last lines. So it's really nice to think about it now, knowing that we're married and I'm never going to have to feel that disconnect. So... That is, uh, that's my track for the week. Well, all righty then. I think that just about concludes it. Well, this is so much fun. I wish that I was able to do more episodes with you guys. Me too. You need to slow down at some point and we'll, we'll get you back on. You have to come back for the front bottoms. (laughs) Okay. After April, let me know. Can you you save it for April? (laughs) I'm going to try really, really hard. (laughs) <laughs> i understand if you can't but it's not that long it's only what like six months something yeah. like that yeah well, six months yeah. yeah we'll make it work all right everyone well thanks so much for joining us you can find us on facebook and patreon at best friends forever we're on instagram at best friends forever pod and if you want to reach out old school you can send an email to best friends forever pod at gmail.com thanks for listening Bye. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Later.